Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Forgotten Football Club's podcast. I'm your host, as per usual, Rory Brace, and I'm joined this evening by Phil O'Rourke. Phil, how's it going? Good, Rory. All good. Uh, looking forward to this one. Uh, have been for a long time, um, mm-hmm. because as I think I mentioned in other podcasts, we're slightly mi- mini celebrities. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. Um, oh, <laughs> no, no, uh, no, really looking forward to this episode uh, because it is a country that, you know, we do have uh, a bit of a fondness for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, love the football in this country, love the teams in this country. Um, just love everything about it, really. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about Icelandic football. We're going to be discussing a couple of lost Icelandic clubs, football in Iceland more generally, the Iceland national team. Uh, of course, we already covered, um, was it? A.K.A. Uh, Akureyri? I.B. Yeah, I.B. Akureyri. God, I've got it wrong already. Now called. Yeah, so we covered A.K.A. Akureyri now. Yeah, yeah, of course, because they had that kind of short run in Europe, didn't they, earlier this year? So, yeah, we've already covered them. So we decided that we were going to expand out and talk about Iceland a little bit more generally in terms of football and lost clubs. And here to help us do that is an expert on Icelandic football, we have with us tonight, Gus Stevens. Gus, how are you, mate? Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, good to good to get a chance to talk about Icelandic football. Good, I'm glad. Yeah, I mean, it's um, we, you know, we've done a few podcasts now um with people from uh, nations that would be considered smaller nations, uh, if you like, in terms of football. Um, obviously with football in Luxembourg, uh, we had. Uh, Luca from Georgian Footy on uh, just the other week, and we've had a few others. And I think we we prefer talking about clubs from nations that don't really get put in the spotlight an awful lot, just because it's, a, it's for me anyway, it's a lot more interesting. And uh, hopefully for our listeners, it's a lot more interesting as well, because it's really uncovering stories that haven't been told before and, and haven't really been heard before. Um, it's something that's a little bit different just from your usual big five and, and whoever else. Now, just for all of our listeners, Gus actually runs uh, an Instagram account and Twitter account called Bestu Elifu. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, which is your go-to for everything football in Iceland. So please go and give them a follow on Twitter and Instagram and give them some support. But we're going to be, first of all, I suppose, just kind of discussing a couple of lost clubs. Obviously, we've already discussed IB Akureyri, but it was through this conversation with Gus that we actually asked you to get you on because... There's a really, really interesting club with a really, really interesting and dramatic story that we wanted to touch on. So, Gus, why don't you start telling us about them? Okay. Um, well, Iceland has quite a a vibrant but small uh, culture with football. Uh, and, I mean, the majority of fans uh, in Iceland of, of football, they, they're watching you know, like the English Premier League or, you know, a lot of other foreign things. And I think that's that's obviously very common for smaller countries. Um, mm-hmm. But you, they still have a, a kind of very deep grassroots network for, for, for football. And it starts from a very young age and is very uh, developed and kind of it, it, it feeds very directly into the system as they get older um and so you get these these clubs from very small villages um that crop up and occasionally make uh appearances in kind of the national uh stage for iceland uh and this team they're hunemen um they're from the south of iceland uh and they didn't make a huge splash 
in Icelandic football, they had what might be considered a fairly uh, uninspiring mm-hmm. um, record when you look yeah. at the totality of it. Um, but I, I learning about their story uh, fairly recently, um, I just I, I found it interesting in some, in some of the turns that it takes mm. um uh and as we have a lot of icelandic teams including like ibia the akareri team that you that you've already spoken about um there's maybe a semantics argument of whether a team is ever truly lost in iceland okay. um because you get a lot of uh combinations and mergers and that's what's happened in in this yeah, it's interesting. Sorry, Gus. It's just interesting because uh, when I was writing the book, I was particularly interested in including an Icelandic club. So obviously I scoured all the countries. And IB Acuri was the only one noted as a forgotten club, if you like, or a defunct club from Iceland. So if you actually Google defunct clubs in Iceland, they're the only club that actually appear on the list. So is that a, a, a kind of false case uh, in a way? Um, I wouldn't say false. I'd say it's... Um, I think it, it, it's maybe fairly unique in the way that it works in Iceland with with clubs. And it, it just means you can kind of trace the history uh, through different names. Um, and they're, they're, they're different entities. So it's, um, I mean, interestingly, with with the teams in Akureyri, they, the, in the women's side of it, the, the two teams, Thor and uh, Kau'a, uh, who were the teams that formed Ibia'a and then became their own entities again. In the women's football, they're actually one team currently. Oh. Um, but rather than being Ibia'a, they are uh, uh, just the two names separated by a, a, a slash um, which is something you see a lot with teams where they're mergers and it's um, maybe not seen as such a permanent thing um, okay that's interesting and so the 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 Ibia the IB um, that, that stands for Ifrota Bandalag um, and that is uh, like a an alliance almost of of teams. Um, the translation's not perfect, but it's um, kind of especially after the Second World War when Iceland got its independence. Um, this became more of a, a a theme of smaller um, smaller teams from small areas kind of banding together mm. uh, to to form something that's actually going to be competitive. Yeah, and just um, just like Phil said there, it, it seemed to me when we were going over the 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 Ibi Akureyri um story, the chapter in the book, it seemed to me, and from what Phil said, it seems to be a bit of a nuance of Icelandic football that there's a lot of mergers. Um, and I'm quite I'm quite keen to talk about this idea that you you've thrown up that in Iceland there maybe can't ever be a forgotten club because of that. It's something that I find really really interesting. And I mean, obviously, Phil and I have spoken on Twitter with people about that before. What what it means to be a, a lost football club or a forgotten football club, um, to obviously put the, the title in the movie. Um, so I'm quite interested in this idea that there can never really be a forgotten club in Iceland. But we'll come on to that later. 
Um, obviously, as you were saying there with uh, with Thrillman, it was uh, it was a little bit different, wasn't it? There was a lot of twists in this tale and quite a bit of drama as well, wasn't there? Yes. So uh, with them, they they they're from a a small town called Flutha. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I think it's less than a thousand people. Um, uh, but I think through most of the summer, the population is quite increased because they have they're quite near to a lot of tourist sites. Okay. Um, and uh, including one called the Secret Lagoon, which is quite an amusing name given how it is very not secret at this point. It's on the uh, the Golden Circle tour a lot of the time, which is yeah. what the majority of tourists will go on. Yeah, it was um, a place in the Scottish borders. It's called like the Secret Bunker or something like that. It's yeah. one of those kind of things. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, so they're they're from this very small town, uh, and they played a lot of um, non-league football, which is very hard to find much record of. Um, but they generally were playing uh, youth football, uh, where it's a lot more easy for them to be playing against, uh, you know, other small teams from the local area at the youth level. Sure. Um, and I, that's another theme with these things is that these clubs often exist at a youth level uh, and also in multiple sports because the multi-sports element is also very common. So with yeah. Funamen, they are also a multi-sports club and they still play on their own uh, as their own club in basketball, probably among other things, but basketball is what they're most no- notable for. They've, I okay. think they've won national titles in that, but I'm... I'm not really very familiar with mm. basketball in Iceland. Um, and yeah, so they, they, they kind of, they check a lot of the, the, the common boxes there of, of like what these small town teams end up doing. Uh, and, but they, they actually in the, uh, in the 21st century have played a little bit of, um, not top tier football, but the the kind of uh, senior football is what you okay. might call it. The, the adult in the adult leagues uh, under the banner of the the national body. Okay, um, and they were in the the fifth tier at one point. Um, as as was the case with a lot of uh, non league teams, they've also played some cup games uh, yeah. in the last thirty years or so. Um, I believe the first. One was in 2004, and I think that's where we had the uh, what is maybe the most notable um, result of theirs uh, from from that cup playing era, uh, because they they beat a team called Hammer from also from the south of Iceland, mm-hmm. uh, and they didn't entirely intend to beat this team. They, <laughs> okay, they. As I was saying, they were playing non-league football, and they decided to play in the the national cup, the Milk Cup, um, and they they just planned to play one game. Uh, and I think even in two thousand and four, some of these players were kind of getting towards the latter stages of their their kind of playing career, mm. um, and they just they just wanted to play one game. Um, but they scored two goals. Hammer scored one goal, and 
the game ended and they were faced with the prospect of having to play an extra game, which they didn't really want to do. Um, I absolutely love that. They just wanted to, to say that they played in the cup just so that they could say they could play because it's the end of their careers and they end up winning it. It's fantastic. It's yeah. proper like the romance of the cup type stuff. Yeah. Um, unfortunately for them, if any of them had wanted to uh, play that second game, they weren't actually able to. Oh. Uh, they were. They had actually brought on an ineligible player. Uh, oh, I'm not able to find out why the player was ineligible. They brought on an inel- ineligible player in the 82nd minute, um, which I also believe is after all of the scoring had happened. So the game was mostly, you know, over at this point. Uh, and on appeal, Hammer actually went through to the next round. That's such a shame. And I think it actually happened to a club in Scotland recently, a, a little further down the pyramid, I think, in the junior leagues. Um, they were getting hammered 5-0 and they brought on a 15-year-old, so they ended up getting a points deduction for it. And it's just like, why are you going to risk stuff like that? You know, um, but you know, it's it's one of those things that can happen. Obviously, um, it's it's just a shame that well, you know, you you said yourself that they they didn't necessarily want to play the second game, um, so maybe they maybe they saw what was coming and just decided, right, we need a way out of this. Let's bring on someone that's ineligible. Yeah. Um, it's a great story though. I absolutely love that. The club, the club that didn't want to win the cup, uh, you know, end up winning the first round. Uh, yeah, it used to happen frequently in League of Ireland years and years ago. Plenty of uh, appeals and stuff like that going in, thrown about. There was one famous one, I think, with Cove and Finn Harps, or no, Newcastle West and Finn Harps, um, that went on for quite a while. There was replays and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, when, when they won the game, I mean, it was only in 2004, so I assume there's, there, there might be footage of it. Did they celebrate? <laughs> I don't think there's any any video footage of it. Um, I think that the first round of the Icelandic Cup, especially in 2004, is maybe quite a, a low-key affair. Um, almost almost sort of invitational, since uh, you know, an, a non-league club was able to take part. Of course. Uh, Presumably so. I, I think, as far as I'm aware, a, a lot of the people involved with the club then are still involved with the club now, uh, under it in its new form. That is, um, so that's how I was able to kind of ask some questions from people involved in the club. Um, the the person that gave me a lot of the information, uh, Gustav Seiland, uh, is a current player for for the club in its current form, uh, and he his his team as as a kid was Hurnerman as well. Um, and he'd have only been very young when this happened. So he was not aware of this, this cup game, um, mm. but was able to ask some of the older people involved in the club uh, and get information on that. Uh, and as they tell it, they were very happy to be knocked out on a technicality. <laughs> um, how much of that is, is kind of after the fact. Uh, changing of history, we'll never know. Yeah, yeah. I just I quite like the idea that Phil mentioned there that you know they've won the game. It's like a huge. Uh, listen, I don't know if it was an upset by any means, but it's like a huge result for them, regardless. And they're just standing there, like you know, hands behind their heads. What like, have we done? What have we done? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're creating a monster. Um, no, that that's a really great story, and it it, it kind of sums up what what this club's about in a sense. Um, just with, with some of the other things that you told me, so. Um, obviously they, they won the cup game by mistake. Did they ever go back into the cup? Did they just kind of tick on from there and do a thing? 
Yeah, it was. Uh, I think four or five years they were they they carried on playing cup games. Um, and they are uh, they they played they won one of a game in the cup in two thousand and seven, this time on purpose, um, <laughs> and it went to penalties against Kawafair, again another team from the south of Iceland. I'm not sure how much the draw takes into account uh, location with some of this stuff because, I mean, it's not like they do that a lot. Nowadays, you have teams up from like Isafjörður in the northwest, uh, in a league with teams from all around Reykjavik and the, the, the this area around there. So they have to do a lot of traveling, and mm. that's like in the sixth tier, where it's, it's quite um can be quite cruel in some cases. Yeah. It's a lot of expenses on traveling. Yeah, they, they they I think they need a lot of sponsorships and things like that to to cover the costs, and they're not. It's not the kind of thing where they can afford to fly. Yeah, teams mm. in the top leagues in Iceland, they're able to fly around the country on on small planes to go to away games. But uh, in the sixth tier of Icelandic football, not not so much. Um, but it's also the, the majority of clubs, I would say, are from kind of the south and yeah. around the capital, of course. Uh, mostly around the capital. Um, but yeah, as it as it happens, they played this first round game in 2007 against Kawafair, who are... Uh, also a current team in the sixth tier of football. Um, and yeah, they won that on penalties and then they lost in the next round to a team from Copavoga called Ymir. Um, and 3-1 against Ymir was not a bad result considering uh, their one season in league competition which was 10 years later. Um, they, I mean, their, their record throughout the entire time playing league football, including the Cups and everything, they played 29 games and won five of them, drew five and lost 19. So considering two of those were those two Cup games, and then I think another two of those were in futsal, uh, mm. because that, that is also included from that, that period as well. Okay. They did only have one season in uh, of league competition, and that was in right. the fifth, fifth division, which at the time was the the lowest division. It's only this season that they've added a sixth tier. There was a bit of a reshuffle. There's six tiers in Iceland, is there? Yep. Really, really, that's Amazing. that's mad. Seeing as like because in Ireland there's only two tiers, and our yeah. population would be way more than uh, Iceland. Um, now we have other like GA is dominant over here, but is is football the main sport in Iceland? Yeah, um, it it generally is, um, and I think I think this is probably um, shows that kind of grassroots mm. mentality to it that a lot of these people are able to kind of keep playing, and you know it's not professional even at the top of the of, of the tiers. Um, so you know a lot of this is just for for fun for a lot of these people um yeah they're not uh they're not you know making money out of it but they're able to keep playing in an organized uh well, that's, that that's refreshing to hear because obviously is, yeah. there's money and stuff like that we all know about the Premier League, Saudi Arabia, China, all these kind of you know nations throwing money money around and everything, uh, and that's kind of refreshing to hear that you you know Iceland has six tiers, six tiers is amazing. Like even we talked about Holland and stuff, only having in three, is it? Um, no, two, two, and then it's completely two as well. Yeah, 
And, yeah. and then you, you have Iceland with the six tiers and, you know, people might say, oh, well, you know, it's not, you know, fully professional, but who cares? That Like, I mean, to me, that's, that's absolutely amazing, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And in the six years, obviously these clubs, would they would they all have fans? Would it be town-based, uh, community-based kind of thing? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, I, I was at uh, some, some, I've been to some six-tier games uh, in nice. Iceland. Um, and the one I was at most recently was up in Isafjörva, which I mentioned before being up in the Northwest. Um, and they actually get a really decent crowd. It was, it was, uh, you know, it's not big by even you know the the Scottish junior standards because I I mean I I live in Glasgow and I go to Mary Hill FC games and nice. um, I'd say it's possibly it's hard to compare the just with the eyeball test but mm. the I'd say it's probably pretty similar uh, in terms of numbers. Uh, well, yeah, I mean that that's kind of what came to my mind. I suppose when you say the sixth tier, the six tiers in Iceland are, are all in the pyramid because. It's sort of the same in Scotland, but Scotland has always had a massive junior football in history. Like always, um, you know, even before the the reshuffle happened in 2011-2012, you had the Scottish Junior Cup, which used to attract crowds of up to sixty thousand people at Hamden and stuff. Like junior junior football was a huge, huge part of football here. But then, obviously, they reshuffled everything and. Um, they kind of took the junior leagues from the not they didn't take them from the junior association, but they said to clubs, "Look, you can stick with the Scottish Junior Association, or you can join the new pyramid structure that we are going to have." Where technically they are in the SP, they're in the SPFL pyramid, but they're not in the SPFL because, of course, the SPS SPFL is just the top four leagues, so the Premiership, Championship, League One, and League Two, and then you've got the Highland League and Lowland League, which are like the feeder leagues. And then you have the junior tiers below it. So it's it's really, really confusing. And I think what a lot of people dislike is how much of a bottleneck it can create. Because there's so many playoffs, it's still really, really difficult for teams in the what are still called the junior leagues to actually make their ways up. And I think if there was some recognition that they were a part of the pyramid in a full-fledged sense, and not just in a, you know, you need to go from the junior to the feeder to the the, the, the senior... I think it would go a long way in helping support for those clubs because it would give them recognition for what they are. Yeah, and I think that's the romance of it is is seeing a club at that low level and think, knowing that theoretically, even if not practically, they could theoretically get promoted to the the top top league. Exactly, uh, and it's you know something that you might aim to do in Football Manager or something like that. But, <laughs> um, Tried it too many times. Lanark United are not an easy club to get promoted. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's a huge part of it, and um, and I mean, I like I say, I go to see Mary Hill FC in Scotland, and um, so kind of lower levels of football has has always been kind of my area that I like to watch. Um, so it's it's you know not a giant leap to kind of the sixth tier in Iceland. Um, mm. the, the quality might not be what everyone would consider the best but that's not really what i'm uh watching it for um and also that we've we've only spoken here about them the six tiers in the men's leagues uh and there's also three tiers in the women's leagues as well amazing so a big fan of in in iceland um the the third tier of the women's leagues has been uh my favorite to follow this season it's been uh super competitive really interesting uh, uh i think it, it's it's 
narrowed a bit more now, uh, and one team has actually won the league. Um, but there's two promotion spots, and with maybe five or six games left, there were still eight teams that could be promoted. Oh, <laughs> so out of out of eleven, that's quite so, a hell of a way. Yeah. yeah, it's massive. Yeah, so uh, yeah, that one's been that one's been a big a big one to follow. Um, and similarly with the fifth tier in Iceland, it's been uh, it, it's now it's it wrapped up last night. Um, but uh, yeah, we didn't know there there was a team. Uh, that they needed to win. If they won, they were going to win the league. Um, if they didn't, then they might lose it on goal difference. And the team below them needed to win to uh, get promoted. So they could either not get promoted at all or win by enough that on goal difference they could win the league if you know the, that other result went their way. And then another team that needed the, them to lose uh, in order to get promoted. Um, the team that... Uh, that could, had a chance of winning the league on goal difference went and won 16 nil. Wow. All the teams that needed to win, they they won their games, but uh, Cow of Cow, uh, they really made sure of it. And that was actually against uh, the team that Hunemen would one day uh, be part of forming as well. Wow. So, uh, that will we'll loop back to that point. As well, yeah. So yeah, so this this club obviously you you mentioned uh, they 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 they're winning cup games that they don't want to win. They they've uh you know they limited success uh, in the, the one league that they played in. What exactly happened to them? Um, like how you, you obviously said in their in their form now. So I assume that they are some sort of forgotten club. Yeah. Um. So they. They had that one one league season, and that was in twenty seventeen. Uh, and it at the time that was uh, the lowest level of Icelandic football that there was, uh, and they were basically at the bottom of it. Um, they weren't really feeling like they were able to be particularly competitive. Um, so it was at that time that themselves and a lot of the other small teams from their area. Uh, decided to band together uh, and form a new team together. Uh, and unlike with a lot of those mergers, this was one of these where it is more an official and permanent thing, uh, at least for the football teams. Um, not so much the the other uh, sports that the te- that those teams played in or at youth level. So I believe at youth level they're still competing separately against each other but then in adult men's football they are one team um and this team is uh Upsvater, which is something like highlanders um in english um uh and yeah they they've had so that that was five teams that that formed that uh and they were Hunemen, Foot, uh Biskup, Nupfea and Lugdailer, uh, and they're just, again, all small teams that uh, I think most of them, they'd, they'd, been, they'd all been playing non-league football uh, before Hunemen had been, um, but none of them had had any league seasons in Iceland. 
um, Nukefair, they had played uh, some cup games also, but they'd never they'd never won a cup game. Um, so yeah, it is, it's another case of kind of uh, the Hunemen name, at least in football, is no more uh, in a sense, but they are still going as Upsvater. Um, and again, much like the team in Akureyri, it's Ifota Bandalak Upsvater. So uh, it's that, that same um terminology that crops up a lot of the time when you have these kind of uh youth organizations um competing together to be more competitive sorry i was muted there <laughs> um so what i mean one of the things that we talk about an awful lot is you know when clubs merge with other teams for instance what it can do is that if, if it's quite a drastic merger and by drastic, we mean, you know, that they're, they're really changing the names and changing the club colours and things like that, then it's something that can impact, one, the identity of the club and that can in turn impact supporters and attendances because if, if you've got a group of supporters who have attended a team for, you know, so long, 30 years and it's been generational, they've passed it on to their children and so forth. And then all of a sudden that changes are you going to still want to follow the same team? You know, is it still going to align with with how you know your ideal your ideals are or how your your world outlook is? So it, it can change quite a lot of things. But I don't think what we talk about enough is is things like this, where it actually sounds like quite a positive. Maybe in some ways, where you've got these five clubs, um, I'm presuming all from are they all from the same area, roughly? Yeah, yeah. So they all yeah. um the nearest big town is called Selfos, mm-hmm. um, and they've got a team in towards the, the higher end of men's and women's football in Iceland. Um, so some of those are, are very close by to there and some of them are slightly further away, but it's all kind of in the same general area near to mm. Selfos uh, in the south of Iceland. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's quite nice that they're doing this and the five of them came together under this this kind of common and quite dramatic sounding name, uh, you know, what was it, Oops, Oopsvetter? It was better Highlanders, you know, it's it's quite iconic to think when you think about it and, and say it like that. And I think, again, Phil, it's something that we've not really spoken about is that in that sense, it may be a bit of a positive and to know that the, the club that you supported and the identities attached to that are now part of something new because it's not necessarily changing name from the town or the area, it's changing it to something that's different and bringing it bringing it under something else. I mean, what do, what do you think? Obviously, we've spoken about mergers quite a lot and how they can affect people negatively, but what, what do you think about that? Are you still of the, the same opinion? Well, I think Gus said at the start, uh, Iceland is quite unique in this. Uh, like we, uh, The club that we did cover, uh, Poor and Akuri, um, who did come together and basically tried to challenge the Reykjavik clubs back then. Uh, I assume this is what the plan was with these five clubs. They kind of put their heads together um, and said, right, we're going to create, I don't want to say super club, but uh, they're, they're going to create a, a, a common club, let's say, um, and they're going to take on the, the big boys. But did they take on the big boys, though, Gus? Did they, did they, what what were they like, this new club? I guess it's all relative because they, they certainly haven't taken on the big boys mm. as such. They have been more competitive than Hurnemen have been. Um, they've already been this season, notwithstanding, they've been more competitive. Um, 
I'm not sure how much of their lack of success this season is partly to do with uh, a, a little bit of a shake-up in the system. Um, and they, they ended up in the fifth tier out of six, whereas maybe they would have been better suited to playing in the sixth tier. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, by, almost, by most metrics, other than the goals allowed or goals conceded, um, their season this year is, is worse than the one Trunamen had in the league. Oh, no. But it's at what you could say is a slightly higher level. Mm. Okay. They're not in the lowest tier. So, in your opinion, so me and me and Rory are looking from the outset, and we talk, as as we said, we talk about mergers and stuff like that, and all other countries and stuff like that. In your opinion, do you think it's a good thing that these five clubs came together and created this club? Yeah, definitely. I think um, it it definitely has allowed this this team to to be more competitive. Um, I think that this this flip side of um, supporter numbers that we're talking about mm. within the culture of Iceland means that you you're less it's less of a concern this kind of uh, alienation of existing fans because it effectively isn't this hardcore fan base at that level. Um, oh, yeah. Right. So what Rory said is basically it's so it's kind of mute because what Rory was kind of bringing into it was, uh, you know, you're supporting a club for 30, 40 years and all that. That's not really the case here in Iceland where there's no kind of diehards, you know, lads with flares standing at the yeah. side of a pitch or anything like that. It's all community based in any way and they're just happy to be playing football. You get that to some extent. You get the, you know, some ultras at uh, lower levels, but it's maybe a set of four or five people with a drum. Um yeah. Uh, and I mean that's a lot of the noise, even at the the, the top tiers, is is drums. Mm. Um, and it's the same as as what Phil's saying though is is that obviously when we've been looking at this, we've kind of been not a hardline in our approach. We're always open to debate and hearing new things um, because we, we 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 like challenging ourselves in these things and changing our opinions. Um, that's part of what researching and, and looking into the history of football is all about. But obviously, from being where we are, we often take a very a very Eurocentric approach. So that's probably where that opinion's coming. Whereas instead of taking this blanket approach that we have been taking, maybe it's a case of we need to look at the, the culture and context of football within each nation, um, as opposed to just looking at it like how I would with Scotland, for instance. Yeah. And I think um as mentioned before, like the the, the history of those clubs in the mergers, they never fully go away. Mm-hmm. Um it might not be common knowledge who those five teams are that make up Ubsfader. But the people who it would matter to would be aware of it. Um and same with like Folkawa in the women's football. Uh, you know, that it, it's two clubs that uh in some ways rivals, but they've come together to be one club competitively. Um They are, they still exist as separate entities. The players uh, in a lot of those mergers, and this is another semantic element to it because um, where these mergers are less kind of permanent, players are still signed to one team. Mm. Um, so uh, an example with like uh, a team called F. Howet in the women's second tier this season, 
they're in the north of Iceland and they're a merger of three teams. Um, wow. So the, uh, and three, I mean, three isn't even that high a number for mergers in Iceland. You get, especially when you get into youth football, you get, um, you get things where there's so many slashes you can <laughs> read it. it. It's, you know, five, six, seven teams competing together uh, in order to put a team together. Um, but F, F how it, they, um, they have players who generally, if they, if the players grew up playing for those teams, they're registered mm-hmm. with the team that they grew up with. So they're playing for F how it, but they might be from a team called Leighton. Um, and, uh, then if they have players coming from elsewhere, it will be basically they'll be registered with the club that's from the village that they're living in, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I, I don't know how the logistics work entirely if the team was to, to stop this merger, if like, you know, there'd be a kind of grab for some of these players. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the history of those clubs is still there and they are still technically players for individual clubs. And it's yeah. it's 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 mad because you talk about all these mergers and all these clubs merging, right? I have a list of Icelandic clubs that exist now. You know, I could be totally wrong with the number here. There's about eighty men and women's football clubs at the moment in Iceland. Would it would that be roughly around the number in the in not the, well in the proper league, a proper league, uh, the 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 national league setup? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, because yeah. it's it's generally between ten and twelve teams per tier yeah and you've got um well you've got the six in the men's and the three in the women's um but then a lot of the thing a lot of those women's teams are also men's teams as well so yeah. it's, it's the same team not yeah. not all of them but a lot of them uh playing men's and women's football so like I won't I won't try even pronounce half of them <laughs> because I'm telling you now I wouldn't even try um but uh, there is a lot of them, and I, I, I just compared it to Ireland, League of Ireland. We'd only have 20 football clubs, and um, then you have obviously your kind of regional Leinster, your your Munster leagues, and stuff like that. Yeah, there's still even within all them clubs, you still wouldn't, you, you, you know, you wouldn't get as many Icelandic clubs there. And to be fair, like obviously, as I said, we talk about population and stuff, uh, your population is quite, quite smaller than, than Ireland's, I think probably smaller than most European nations. Uh, and as I said, we touched on the Dutch as well, even only having two tiers. Um, so it's, to me, it's, it's it's absolutely amazing. And I think it's a breath of fresh air, the fact that you don't... It's not about money, first of all. It, it seems like Icelandic football is just about enjoying the sport. It, it's about just enjoying it. It's community kind of based. And I think... I think a, a lot of that is lost in modern day football. So it's it's really it's really a breath of fresh air to hear um that you know there is a nation out there doing it and a nation that's been quite successful uh on, on a national level um only recently uh, which we'll talk about now um but what I wanted before we go to the national team and stuff like that there obviously are big clubs in Iceland uh, a few of them are competing or have gone on European runs this year and stuff like that. Um, what are they like? We've talked about the sixth tier, the fifth tier. I know that's that's what you, you like, but obviously you must know about the bigger clubs. What are the bigger clubs in Iceland like? Yeah, I mean, it's 
like I said before, it's still not fully professional. There's mm. there's a bit more money in there. Um but it's it's like when when you watch say uh, the FA Cup in England and there'll be a team that's making a remarkable run and people love saying like oh and this person's actually a plumber or you know like this person this is this is a part-time footballer this is their other job uh and i've i've seen some of that with with Braverblick in uh the mm-hmm. Champions League uh well they were in the Champions League qualifiers and now they're in the uh, the Conference League group stage uh and their captain is a is a baker um and really? so it's 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 that kind of thing and you get um kind of a mixture of these local players that never seem particularly um they're not superstars outside yeah. of Iceland but they're very approachable stars to Icelandic people um and they they they're very well loved especially by uh like younger people um it's always it's always very sweet to see kind of younger fans who still have that kind of uh adoration for these players that they maybe have also coached by because a lot of the time uh the the adult players in the top leagues are still uh doing some youth coaching um to kind of as part of their contracts um and then you also get uh, a fair number of, of foreign players. And then the, on the women's side, a lot of that comes from the US. Um, it's interesting. What's hmm. that, sir? I was just saying that that's, that's quite interesting. Is there a, a, a particular link there? or? Um, there's there's quite a lo- lot of reasons. But, but we've, obviously, in women's football, the US is huge. Yeah. Uh, and they produce a lot of very good football players then it's way too many for the professional setup in the US so they end up going elsewhere and there's a, there's quite a lot of reasons why they go to Iceland um some of them very personal to the players but it's um if you look at the kind of the relative standing of Icelandic football in men's and women's football uh the Icelandic leagues in women's football are more up there than the men's they 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 are um you know they, there's been a lot of celebration and rightfully so of brave being the first european team to reach a group stage in icelandic football they're the first icelandic men's team to do so uh there's actually been very few se- in the time that the women's champions league has existed there's been very few seasons that we haven't had a women's team uh in the group stage or equivalent sure. um and so that's obviously a, a big appeal is like this idea that you can actually play in the champions league uh and be competitive in it um, and you even get some cases of of either foreign players or icelandic players uh playing in iceland and then going to somewhere in spain or italy and finding out that actually some of the some of the facilities and the way that teams are set up is actually not as good as some of the ones in Iceland. Yeah. Uh, and there's, I mean, there's outliers, of course, like, and there's, there's always going to be some that are better than others because you also have some teams in Iceland where uh, things haven't been up to scratch and it's meant uh, groups of foreign players leaving 
because they've not been paid and stuff like that. Sure. Um, but in general, I'd say, uh, yeah, the standing the standing of women's football within world football in Iceland is more uh, highly regarded than that of men's football. You're more likely to to, to see Iceland as a destination to play in, uh, to play at a good level. Um, and I think also another thing that helps with the with the US players is it's relatively closer. It's Europe, mm. but it's relatively closer, especially if you're from the East Coast um, of the US, that is. Uh, so yeah, you see a lot of that. Um, there, There is a limit because like most leagues, you can only have so many players from outside of the EU. Um, even though Iceland's not in the EU, you know, it's it's all kind of within the same agreement. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a limit to free players without EU passports. Um, so then in turn, you get some teams uh, on the men's side, especially who have got a lot of foreign players, non-Icelandic players, um, but they are from the EU. Um, so say Vestry, uh, who are the bigger team from East, if you ever, they, um, they have very few players in their squad who are actually Icelandic. Um, uh, and I was actually at a game between them and Selfos and it was quite interesting. You had, uh, the Selfos manager is from England. Um, yeah. and most of his players are Icelandic and he's been there for a few years. So he's shouting instructions at his players in Icelandic, uh, which he speaks very well. Uh, meanwhile, the Icelandic manager of Vestri is shouting instructions in English because that's the main language that is common between them. Um, a lot of foreign players who have not been in Iceland a long time. That's interesting. We 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 spoke about this uh, in in our last uh, podcast uh, episode when we were talking to Luca in the Georgian one. Um, yeah. about you know foreign players going into countries and stuff like that and is it is it a good thing is it a bad thing uh, I have a lot of friends as I said that would say League of Ireland should be important a lot of foreign players to increase the talent increase the, the quality um, but that's been proven wrong because a club Dundalk uh, done that a few years ago and they nearly got relegated where Shamrock Rovers prim- primarily use Irish players and they, and they do well. And I think, I don't think it's down to quality of players. I think it's like you said there, um, Gus, it's to do with your surroundings, your, you know, the language and stuff like that, you know, to get used to it. Um, you know, Irish players are obviously going to feel more comfortable playing in Ireland. Same with Icelandic players are going to probably feel more comfortable playing in Iceland. Um, I, I suppose the weather probably comes into it as well. I'd say, you know, a Spanish lad going up to Iceland is probably in for a bit of a shock uh, <laughs> in regards to weather. So, yeah, you know, there's all that sort of stuff. Um, who, I suppose, who, who, if you were to pick, I don't know if you were to pick one or two, obviously we've talked about uh, the, the European success in qualifying. Who is the biggest club in Iceland? I'm going to put you on the spot there. Who is the biggest club in Iceland? Mm. Fan-wise oh, and trophy-wise. On, on well, the most successful all-time is Kauer, uh or the English pronunciation, KR. Um mm. They they have the most trophies. Um, they definitely have. They're definitely up there with fans as well. But their their success more recently has been a bit 
more far and few and far between. Um, right. So it's. I mean, I I'm I'm a very good neutral, but Cowair is the team that I. I most look out for out of the top teams. Right, I, I that's fair enough. That's very really... very diplomatic. Yeah, very yeah, diplomatic. yeah. Um, I and as as a as a quote unquote fan of them, it's hard to say, see them as one of the top teams at the moment. Um, yeah, Brave Brave Oblique have been very good the last few years. Uh, Vikinger, uh. Uh, basically guaranteed of winning the league this year. Um, it's I think they need maybe two more points out of five games to guarantee it. Um, okay. uh, their women's team have won the second tier this year as well. Uh, Valor, uh, the big rivals of Kauer, and they are also one of the the top teams. Their their women are basically guaranteed of the the top division, um, and they are currently second in the men's league. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, there's a lot of teams with historical success who ne aren't necessarily the, the, the best and biggest mm. at the moment. Yeah. Um, you look at teams like, like Fram, um, they're in the, they're in the top league, uh, but at risk of relegation. Uh, EA, uh, who, incidentally, another Ifrata Bandalag team, um, they're in the second division. They stand a chance of no promotion, but they are in the second league, and they, they are the team that has the most consecutive titles, and I believe they are the first team from outside of the capital area that ever won, won a, a league. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Take a pick based on what what you kind of yeah, yeah. Fair enough. What about um, what well, one team that I actually wanted to ask you about is uh, FH. I suppose with the English pronunciation, be yeah. um, you'll know the Icelandic pronunciation because I'm sure I mentioned this to you uh, when we were in initially speaking. Um, there's sort of over the last sort of decade or so, there's been this kind of un not underhand. That's not the right word, but this sort of overshadowed connection between players going from Scotland to Iceland. And it mm -hmm. kind of started as just a trickle, and then a few more went, and then it's went to you know people have went over to become pundits, people have went over to do commentary, people have went over to report on it, and it just seems to be because they well one for one it's a beautiful country, and and maybe it's just been because of them traveling, but there's one player in particular uh, who sticks out in my mind, Stephen Lennon. Yeah. Um. Now Stephen Lennon, uh, started his career at Rangers. I think he made his debut in 2000. He only made three appearances for them, and then he played for Partick. He played for a couple other clubs around here. And his agent actually said to him, because he had offers from you know down south, as it always is. His agent said to him, "You should try something different. Why don't you go to Iceland?" And he's been there basically since. I think he played for Fram, and then he played briefly in Norway, and now he's been with uh, with FH FH sorry since 2014. And he said in an, in an interview on A View from the Terrace, which is on BBC Scotland, he actually said that he just loves the culture of it so much. It's a lot more relaxing. He feels safe there. He feels like he can enjoy his football there. And I think something that's, that's something that's really, really, really important, particularly if you're a, a youth prospect who's just been let go by an academy, um, just cultivating a nice environment for them to be in. Uh, and now he's working towards becoming a coach and things like that. And you would presume that he would stay over there. So, 
Um, it's would you? I mean, I, I don't know if you maybe you'd maybe see it differently, but it seems to me that it's becoming quite attractive for people, uh, players and pundits and coaches to go to Iceland because of that that culture and that environment. Yeah, and I mean, he's he's had a he's had a great career as well. Like it's he's he's right up there with with some of the top scorers, um, you know, career wise. Uh, I think some of that might be. Um, you know, like the level of the football, um. But like you say, it's 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 the environment, and um. I think a, a lot of the time with foreign players, it they they really have the opportunity to just focus on their football, um. And a lot of the stuff is kind of figured out for them. I think it's more uh, likely if you're a foreign player to kind of have a, a um something resembling a, for, a, a full-time contract uh, yeah. than if you're a local player, uh, for better or worse. Um, you know, like you, you maybe have another job, but it's it's the same agency that sets you up with your your playing contract, sets you yeah. up with a part-time job. Um, there's a lot of agencies out there uh, who are keen to help people do that. Uh, and... Um, I think part of that maybe is that obviously it's expensive to live there, but you get paid more accordingly. So if you're an agent from somewhere else and you're going to get a percentage of the income, then 10% of an Icelandic contract is maybe more than 10% of a British contract. Um, and your your own cost of living hasn't gone up because you're still in in the UK. Um, exactly. Yeah. And so I think that's part of it as well. Uh, again, for better or worse, um, the, the, the way it works for foreign players is slightly different than it is for local players. Uh, I'm not, I've not been in, I'm not, I'm not too involved in that side of things myself to actually know the kind of ins and outs of it really. Um, this is just kind of observations. Um, but yeah, there's there's a good there's a good precedent of of players coming from the UK and uh, other places around kind of central, northern, western Europe, and making good careers for themselves. I think um, there's a big mixture of um, foreign players who maybe come for one season just to kind of. Uh, prove themselves and then maybe move on somewhere else uh, or end up moving somewhere else um, to not play football. They're just kind of, you know, having a go at it. And then there's people that come over and they love it and they make it, they, they decide, well, why not? You know, it's going okay here. Why why not make a career out of it in yeah, Iceland? Yeah. Um, and it seems that's what Stephen Lennon's done, what a lot of other players from uh, South America as well as the uh, well. one of your uh, one of the podcasts that talks a lot about uh, the top division in Iceland. Uh, it's called the Besta Pod. Um, they um, they've spoken with a player from Brazil who's playing in the top division in Iceland, and he, they they spoke with him about his journey to mm. to kind of going there and ending up staying there for 
an extended period. That's um, amazing. Yeah, and I, I can't remember the name of it, but there was another podcast I listened to where they interviewed a, a Spanish player who's been in in the Icelandic leagues for quite a long time now. Uh, nice. And like you say, it was hard for him at first with the weather and everything, but he's really just made a, a life for himself and his mm. family and everything. So. Yeah, I, I I can't think of any. I don't think any Irish players ever made the move. I could be completely wrong there. Um, I mean. Maybe one lad did, and I don't know. Do you know if there's any uh, Irish players ever played in Iceland, uh, Gus? Um, not off the top of my head at like, mm. the highest level. Um, no, I mean largely yeah, Scottish and English. Mm. Is what what comes to mind more? Um, which is which is weird because Ireland's not too far. Like I have a map in front of me yeah. here, and Ireland's not too far away from Iceland. And I mean. The climate, okay, you probably get a bit more snow than us, but uh, you know the, the the weather. Although it's been roasting here for the last three days, uh, you know it's not exactly like you know extreme, extremely different. So uh, that's that's actually something maybe, um, maybe we can ask our our, our listeners or so far, or at least our Irish listeners, uh, why Irish footballers don't take a chance and maybe go to Iceland because everything you're saying there seems to be a kind of Plus, there doesn't seem to be any kind of negative to it. Um, even the you know the cost of living, Ireland's quite expensive to live in. So an Irish wage here, a football yeah. wage, isn't exactly you know they're hardly driving around Lamborghinis or anything like that. So yeah. it's not again, it can't be a financial thing uh, to stop them. So um, I mean the Irish footballers, if they are good enough, to usually go to the UK. That's obviously what they do. But you're, we're now starting to see kind of Irish footballers maybe going into Europe and stuff like that. You never know. Maybe we might see the first uh, Irish football go, uh, footballer go to Iceland uh, soon enough. It, it could happen. Um, there's there's one player in my head that I thought might have done it. You, you probably know him as well, Rory. Uh, Killian Sheridan, because he seemed to be everywhere. <laughs> Cyprus, oh, yeah. Russia, Bulgaria, everywhere. So uh, Scotland. Uh, he, you know, I think he played in America as well. So um, if there was one player to do it, he probably would have been. But I don't think he ever ever ventured to Iceland. Here we go. I mean, I think I found a player here. Um, oh. list of players who play for, um, or sorry, who play in the Ur- Urvalsdeld. That's a yeah. terrible pronunciation. I know that. Um, so I'm just having a quick look here. Uh, go to the Republic of Ireland because I've seen it. I'm gonna go. So there's a couple of Northern Irish players as well. Um, Brian McLean and Albert Watson. Um. Well, well, Brian McQueen is is currently a manager, but he formerly played in the the top division in Iceland. Okay. Um, and in terms of Ireland itself, if I can just pull it up here, this is really, really, really good podcasting for me. Uh, so you had David Elbert, you had Dermot O'Carroll played for Valour in twenty ten, uh, Ross McLean played for Fram in two thousand and five, Brian O'Callaghan two thousand and five, Richard Keogh. 2004 and a Charles McCormick in 2003 so it looks like just going by the updates on this Wikipedia page the last one was David Elbert who played for Fuel Cure in 2012 Fuel Cure there you go there you go uh, you learn something new every day even about your own yeah. country Um, look Gus we want to move on to the national team okay me being an Irishman Rory being a Scotsman we want to talk about that famous win against England how 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 yes. like how was that beating them in uh it was the Euros, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the Euros 2016. Euro 2016, Euro 2016, yeah. Yeah, I mean what was I it like? English. 
but <laughs> yeah, yeah um, look look for this podcast or not <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh i think i was at work um, <laughs> i think I was, I was at work at the time um it's huge i it it's it's had so much attention that that kind of uh golden generation um and not to put too much of a downer on it but it's a it, it's a little bit tainted nowadays um there's been a lot of scandal uh Mm. involved with those players that were in that squad um i mean some of them still playing now uh you know the most notorious just recently signing with a new team yeah um and so it's it's maybe somewhat of you don't hear about it as much in right. Iceland. Um, people don't talk about it as much. Um, the first uh, top division game I went to, um, I was not aware of some of it. And there was a chant from some opposing fans uh, to one of the players uh, who was one of the alleged uh, offenders in a scandal um, and it was the chant was in English uh, about him being a sex offender mm. uh, and in a way it was quite shocking because you know these are these are people that obviously there's, there's an element of kind of tribalism with any football fandom where you uh, if it's if it's your own player you may be a lot of fans are a, a bit quieter about it and it's an opposition player. Uh, you know, it's every, everything's fair game. Um, but the, the, these are football players that were at one time national heroes. Mm. Uh, uh, so it's surprising in to some degree um, when you think of like similar things in the UK where some of it does get I mean, you had had the con- controversy last year. Was it last year with Rafe Rovers? Yeah, signing. I'm not going to say his name on air, um, but they they yeah. obviously signed him from Clyde. Um, and to be fair, it took a lot of. It was a, a big kind of collective effort, mainly from the 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 Rafe Rovers women's team. Um, a, a lot of big names coming out and talking, speaking against it as well. Um. And then obviously he was loaned back to Clyde. The knock-on effect of that was that Clyde then got kicked out of Broadwood because of that. But the, the main takeaway from it was that the Wraith Rovers board hadn't actually learned anything. The only reason they'd sent him back to Clyde was because of the backlash. Um, you know, and there's, there's been so much about it. And, and currently he's, he's playing in Glasgow, which makes me sick. And it's it is far, it is far down the, the tiers of football in Scotland. Don't get me wrong, but he shouldn't be playing football whatsoever, in my opinion. Um, at any level, but there's been so much about it. Oh, you know, he, he, he deserves a second chance, and and you know, he, he still has to have a life. I'm very, very hard line in this. He doesn't, he doesn't deserve a second chance, and it, yeah. So it's yeah, uh, yeah I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Now, I, I there was one one player that I was sort of familiar with the, the scandal around them, but I didn't realize that, that, that quite a lot of other 
members of that 2016 squad were involved in it as well. So that that's something that I'm going to read up about later because it's something that is maybe just passed me by. Yeah, um, I, 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 obviously we know the one player that that was part of it. Um, again, we won't mention his name. Um, just in case, but uh, I wasn't aware that it was a few of them, which is quite interesting because I honestly thought that that 2016 win against England was, uh, you know, something that would be celebrated for years, you know, in in Iceland, especially it was your first tournament and stuff like that. Um, to get away from that, what I want to ask you as well, Gus, is about the actual planning for that because I remember reading about Icelandic football and uh, when they qualified and stuff like that. Um, and I read uh, that it was like a ten-year plan to get Iceland, like the national team, up to scratch to get to qualify for an actual tournament. That this was a huge collective effort. It wasn't a you know a lucky break that you just had a great qualification and went through. That this was you know built up over a decade. That you know the Icelandic FA said, right, look, we want to get our national team into a uh, you know major final. Um, we're a small nation, but let, let's let's put a plan together. And it took a decade, but it actually happened. Um, what do you know about that? And what what can you tell me about the Icelandic FA and and how structured it is? You've already told us about uh, kind of the national league and how it's all about football and stuff. And it seems it seems to be you know stable enough. But uh, what can you tell us about the Icelandic FA? Um. I don't know. To be honest, I don't know tons of details about that side of things. Mm. Um, I know that they do put a lot of focus on. Um, again, it's 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 kind of youth and upwards. Um, you know, there's a lot of focus on their youth levels, um, and at this point, a lot of, uh, especially on the men and boys side, like the, um the top players are often playing abroad. Um, now, I, I read when I was doing my research that during this plan, now correct me if I'm wrong, that in this 10-year plan, they tried to keep all the best players in Iceland, in Iceland, playing in the Icelandic league uh, so that they could create a kind of, you know, keep them all together and stuff. Now, obviously, some slip through the net. Yeah, your either go Johnsons and stuff like that. They, they obviously go to, to England. Though. But the, uh, the other alternative was that they went to Canada, for example, like which is not too far away. So they were quite, you know, not I wouldn't, I'm not saying strict or anything on this, but it seemed to be a bit of like their, their ethos that, you know, we're going to keep the best players in Iceland and, you know, build them up. Is that correct or did I read that completely wrong? I'm I'm not familiar enough. I'm afraid I I don't know about that that part of it. But, mm. um, well, think... did a lot of the players from that 2016 team did they play in Iceland? Yeah, they de- definitely. If you can compare it with with kind of the the, the squads now, mm. um, where a lot of the players are are playing abroad, um, and a few I think a few of those players. Uh, from that squad are still are now back in Iceland, maybe after having gone um, abroad. Um, yeah, I'm afraid it's not not my my most knowledgeable element yeah. of the, the national team. 
it, it, it just when I read about it, uh, it was a good couple of years ago. Uh, it just sounded like an interesting model, and it's something that I've said to people, you know, Irish supporters. You know, again, we have a bigger population, but we're a small country, a small nation, uh, and I've always said, you know, maybe that's the way we should go forward. Uh, build a ten-year plan, you know, build up our League of Ireland and keep our players here. Uh, you know, get them to know each other and all. Instead of just shipping them off at a young age to the UK or or whatever, just for money, so schoolboy clubs. And it just it struck me that that's what Iceland did um, in their 10-year plan. They kind of invested in their football clubs. Um, everybody kind of got the same slice, uh, you know, the same kind of, you know, funding and stuff like that. And uh, nobody kind of was like a bigger club. So, for example, Shamrock Rovers here in Ireland would be seen as the football club that get the, you know, they have the 7,000-seater stadium. Uh, you know, they get the, the big players, the big wages. They've been full-time for a long time. In Iceland, it seemed like everybody just w- was on par. You know, everybody, obviously there, there's some clubs that win more than others, which is always going to happen. But that's, that's what it, it felt to me. And it felt like, like you said at the start of the show, money wasn't a, a big thing. It was all about let's just go out and play our football. Yeah, I'd say there's definitely a, an element of that. You get, you do get some um, disparities at kind mm. of a municipal level, not necessarily from the from the the football association uh, level. Um, From, I think, yeah. If if that's if that's the way they were set up at the time, I think there's been a bit of a shift now. Yeah, um, I think. I was going to go on to that because at the moment the Iceland and nationally it's kind of dipped since that kind of. Uh, 2016. I, but what you were after telling me there is a lot of the players went abroad um, after that and now suddenly it's dipped. So, you know, I, maybe, you know, it, it, they, they were onto something there, keeping all the players. You know, I'd imagine I'm from an island, uh, Ireland. Uh, Iceland is quite, a, you know, you talked about a tribal uh, country, quite national and stuff, nationalistic, if that's a word, um, and kind of very proud uh, to be Icelandic. So to keep everybody there, I would have said that would have built up a bit of camaraderie and it would have built up something that, you know, okay, you have your Spains, your France and stuff like that, that are obviously always going to be better than our football quality-wise. You're always going to, because of population size and stuff like that. But what what we don't have in quality, you can make up in that kind of camaraderie and, and stuff like that. Ireland did it back in 1990 and 94. Uh, Iceland done it in 2016. And I just think that, you know, Iceland are, are kind of the template, I think. Uh, that 2016 side, what they did, um, forget about, you know, don't forget about it, but what they done after, or the scandals and all. And the football sense, uh, what they did was absolutely amazing. And I think it was uh, beating England that time was just, well, look, uh, as an Irishman, it was always great. Uh, there, no offence to any of our English <laughs> listeners, uh, and Rory's there smiling his head off. Um, but it's uh, it, it just was magnificent. Um, going forward, uh, Iceland, uh, what are the, what what are your hopes for them going forward? Do you think Euros did have a chance? Uh, World Cup in USA, Mexico, Canada. What uh, is there any up and coming players? Do you know? Um, what what's your feeling towards that? I think that they're definitely kind of on the trajectory to back towards the next generation. Like they've they've not had the success in recent years, but it's um 
there's been a lot of turnover in the team since 2016 and so it's it's a lot of players kind of coming through who are younger um and yeah i i think it, it it's 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 it has the potential to to go up from here but it needs that that consistent effort uh from the football association and um to to keep strengthening the thing and i think um the thing I mentioned earlier, the, the grassroots approach to football being what it is in Iceland, I think that puts them in a good starting position, at least, mm. uh, going forward. Because I think a 10-year plan is fine, but only if you're kind of doing persistent 10-year plans. Yeah. So you've got that plan for, for that one squad, for that one tournament. But then beyond that, what do you do? You can't be... Um, you need to be consistently and persistently building for the future. Um, and I think Iceland is doing that quite well. Um, yeah. I think. Definitely, I definitely. Um, I mean, we talked about the men's football. I know you're, you're passionate about the women's football as well. The Women's World Cup just went by. Iceland went in the, the Women's World Cup. Do you think the women's team? Uh, can you see them? You you spoke about you know the club at club level are uh, consistently or or most of the time in Champions League competitions. Do you think uh, the Icelandic women might make a, a bit of a, a you know do something like the men's team going to sixteen? I know obviously the World Cup's gone by. Uh, the Euros are probably the next big big thing in the women's football. Um, so what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. I think they're knocking on the door. Like they, they just barely missed out. I think, um, in the in the qualifiers for the World Cup, um, I think they 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 quite remarkably went. I can't remember the exact statistics, but they went quite a long time without losing a game in the qualifiers, and they were playing against teams like Spain and all sorts and and getting good results against them, but just not winning. Mm. Um, a lot of draws. Uh defending really well and really bravely and coming up with great results. And yeah, they, they were really remarkably undefeated for a while. Um, I'm not sure if that continued the entire qualification period, but they, they, um, they ended up, you know, in like the playoff sections of it, I think. And I feel like um, Ireland and we all know, we all know what happens with Ireland. Don't we Rory? Uh, beating Scotland. Scotland almost made it to the World Cup as well, goes. So I don't feel uh, too hard. Almost. Uh, listen, the, the the Scotland national women's team at the moment. I I I don't I don't know where they're sitting, and I don't know if I'm sitting with where I'm sitting with them because sometimes they'll they look class and they look really really good, and but most of the time, and especially in that game against Ireland, they just looked so like toothless almost. Like it's really really strange, and the crop of players that they've got are absolutely fantastic. There's there's some really really good young players coming through the ranks and and uh, the Scottish women's game at the moment and, and playing down south and abroad as well. And they're just not being utilised properly. It's, it's really strange. And um, I think it's Pedro Martinez Losa that's still the manager. The Scotland's women's, women's team, I'm just going to double-check that. Um, yeah. While well, he's checking that, goes, uh, we always ask, who's your favourite Icelandic player and who's the best Icelandic player you've ever seen? Hmm. Well, I mean, in terms of best Icelandic player I've seen, I have seen in person Eidegger Johnson. So, okay. 
obviously yeah. I, I saw him at the old Wembley in uh, 19, well I think it was 2000 uh, the last set of FA Cup semi-finals there uh, when he was playing for Bolton um, against Aston Villa nice uh, and then also against Aston Villa if you might see a trend there uh, I mm. saw the all-time high, highest Icelandic goal scorer uh, Trigvi Guffmanson. Um if I've if I've got that name wrong, we can just edit this bit out, right? Uh, <laughs> I'm really I'm really terrible with remembering old older names. Uh, and then my my favorite my favorite players in Iceland at the moment from Kauer, it would be Adlicia Jonsson and Kristin Jonsson. Um, two players on the men's team. Um, yeah, uh, I think uh, Adley C. Johnson. He he's very uh, technically gifted, um, but maybe a little inconsistent, mm. uh, and that's maybe part of why he's played. Uh, in Iceland, basically, I think I think his whole career, um, but it's always kind of you know th those players that have, uh, you know, been kind of stalwart, you know, the one club players, those kind of people, they're always kind of the ones that I'm I'm drawn to. I think, um, bit of loyalty, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean. So obviously, again, as I said, I have the map in front of me, right? This is a question, a kind of personal question for me that I've always wanted to ask uh, somebody associated with Iceland. Who is Iceland's rivals when it comes to football? Like who, like, so the draw is made for like, say, a qualifier. And, you know, Ireland are kind of like against Wales or Scotland or England or whatever, Northern Ireland. Who would Iceland, is it Norway? Is it Denmark? Like who, who do you love playing against? I've always wondered because these are so isolated up there you know there's there'll always be a bit of a thing with denmark okay and, gonna um, see yeah just because of like the independence movement right okay uh you know it was it was denmark that that ruled over iceland uh what about faroe to... islands the faroe islands i think it's because they're the closest to you aren't they yeah i feel like there's there's almost uh I don't want to say the brotherhood, but like you know, almost like a kind of mm. understanding between the two that you know, okay. you're both smaller nations. Um, and there's definitely been like with with uh, a Faroese team doing quite well in Europe this yeah. season. Um, there's definitely been a kind of uh, a celebration of that within Iceland as well. That's um, Kai Klasvik, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen a lot about them. They've, they've been absolutely superb in the European qualifiers. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I was going to say Denmark. Obviously, the, the geographical one, I suppose, would be Greenland, but you know they're in Concacaf, so um, it can be Greenland, unfortunately. Yeah. Um. So, but I like how there's a little brotherhood with the the, the Faroe yeah, Islands. Yeah, I guess yeah. it's kind of similar to Scotland and Ireland. Phil, it depends. It depends what side of the coin you're on. You're on in Scotland, I suppose. Really, um, <laughs> um, Scotland and Wales probably more strict. I've only ever heard good things when I've heard Scottish and Welsh fans talking about each other for the most part. 
Um, well, Ireland does have a weird thing with Fair Islands as well, though. Um, because yeah, yeah, Ryan Kerr used to manage them. Um, and there's a little bit, of, a few Faroese uh, players have come down and played in Ireland. Um, so Fair Islands sound like just everybody's friend, to be honest. <laughs> there was a Faroese uh, striker that signed for Rafe Rovers last season called uh, John Fredrickson. I think he was the tallest senior footballer in Europe or something. He was six foot eight. Wow. Um, and they were like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna get him as target man. He's gonna, he's gonna bang them in. He's gonna do bits. Played two games, scored once in the cup. Never seen again, which was a shame because uh, I would have loved to see more of Big John. Um, absolutely tearing up the Scottish Championship. Um, but anyway, before we get carried away, um, Phil, is there anything else that you'd like to ask us just before we finish up for the night? Yeah, just one more thing. Goes so. I mean, again. We, we we've spoken about uh Brekovic is is that what the hell do you pronounce it? Are in the Europa Conference League, um, and yeah, this Europa Conference League has obviously come up the last. I think this is going into the third year, um. Then obviously you have Europa League, Champions League. We talked about how Icelandic clubs aren't exactly professional, or there's not a lot of money in it. Okay, um, but the Europa Conference League is a, a gateway for clubs to you know gain a bit more money and gain a bit more recognition and stuff like that. Um, can you see in the next 10 years an Icelandic team qualifying for the group stage of Europa League even? Champions League maybe is probably, you know, the obviously is a dream and stuff like that. But even in Europa League, can you see it? I can, yeah, definitely. I think partly, you know, the, the difference between that this year and be, and what's actually happened is quite fine, really. Like the um, the luck of the draw in some ways is is part of it. Um, it's slightly harder because I think at least the way it worked out this year, uh, Braverblick as champions, they were in. They started out in the Champions League qualifiers, mm-hmm. uh, and then the other two Icelandic teams that went to Europe went straight to the Conference League. So they've kind of got the path where they've got to win. They've got to keep winning. Yeah. To, to get through to the group stages and there's no route for them to go upwards to to the Europa League whereas Braverblick were able to lose a couple rounds and get through to the Conference League route that way so I think it's definitely um, you know there, there was time there were times where you know people were looking at the route even to the Champions League group stages and what would be necessary for that for Braverblick and it it, it it was fairly improbable I mean the the, the the biggest stump there's the well the the stumbling block there was Copenhagen um which obviously is a huge club um mm. and I think even in Iceland like that the the atmosphere around that one was that of treating it like an event more than the opportunity um whereas like when Brave Blick played against like Shamrock Rovers it was yeah. Very much like you know, like we do stand a chance of beating them. Well, I, I'll tell you this: where in Ireland, uh, I know I'm not a Sean Crowe's fan, I'm a St. Pat's fan, but in Ireland, there was a sense that this is going to be a formality that Rover Sean Crowe should have just went over one. And when they, you know, when they didn't, a lot of people were saying, Oh, that's a dreadful result, and stuff like that. Um, which I turned around and said, Well, hold on, lads, you know, like, why, why are suddenly now Shamrock Rovers, you know, are going to be in the Europa? Con-? Like, it was like they, they 
assume that they should be in or they were entitled. Uh, and it was kind of, you know, I'm a St. Pat's fan, so <laughs> it was nice to see Rovers be humbled. Um, although I like to see, obviously, Irish clubs do well in, in European competition, but there was a sense of that. And uh, yeah, no, it, it, it was it was good to see an Icelandic team finally break that kind of mould. And, and you know, I really do hope that they do well uh, in it. Uh, we'll be definitely keeping an eye on it. I think um, one memory would have been the COVID season. So what was that, 2020? Start of 2020, um, K.R. Reykjavik came to Glasgow uh, to play Celtic. I think it was 6, 6 or 7 now. Yeah, I think 6. Something like that. Yeah, but that was the first time we've played in an Icelandic club in a while. It's obviously a shame that it was during the one season that, that no one could go because obviously for that season, they, they, they made it one leg only. Uh, and an away day to Reykjavik would have been absolutely fantastic. Um, that would have been really good. But yeah, I mean, Rovers and... Uh, the Rovers and Reykjavik are, I, I would say, as obviously an outsider looking in, are two very evenly matched teams. But if we've discussed before, Phil, the, the League of Ireland has a really, really strange echo chain, chamber sort of bubble yeah. around it. Where, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, I went, I went to in Ireland uh, the, at Shamrock Rovers and definitely kind of got that impression from Shamrock Rovers fans and the kind of media that it was, they were very much expected to win. Yeah. Um, whereas I think in Iceland it was viewed as a lot more even and from other people that kind of followed um, European football that there's a lot of good Twitter accounts that look at those things and make predictions and uh, they were a lot closer they were still predicting Shamrock Rovers to, to win but yeah. they were they were saying you know one nil over the two legs not you know what a lot of the Shamrock Rovers or people in Ireland were maybe thinking that it was going to be a walkover I think yeah. they saw that kind of thing of them being part-timers and took that as a sign of quality where it, where it really isn't. Yeah, I mean, look, Shamrock Rovers are about to win four in a row league titles here in Ireland, so it doesn't help the, their fans' ego boost. Um, uh, I could tell you that. Uh, they're not the only fan base, but look, I'll say nothing uh, because I don't want to get myself into trouble. But uh, don't take offence with us because uh, that's just how Irish or League of Ireland fans uh, kind of think. They, they think... You know, they're they're entitled to uh, win everything, but uh, yeah, I think that's it, Rory. That's that's all, that's all the questions I have. Unless you have more. Oh, just about. Uh, so Gus obviously messages. Um, we were talking yesterday briefly. Uh, you mentioned Gus, uh, a women's player from Iceland, tragically lost their lives recently. So, um, why don't you tell our listeners about uh, some some ways that you can that they can help out our family and and ways that we can help out as well. Yeah, um, so it was a, a player in the uh, third division of women's football. She's a, a Moldovan international, uh, Violeta Mitzel. Um, yeah, 26 years old, uh, just tragic accident um, out on a walk with some teammates. Um, there's not tons of, of details to it, and I wouldn't really want to delve into it anyway, but it's it's been a big shock for people in Icelandic football, and there's been a uh, a great degree of like rallying around around the the team um a lot of support from other uh other teams in Iceland um and yeah they they've they've put they've been trying to get some funds together for the family um the uh the main way i think has been through bank transfer which i think is maybe a little bit tricky uh internationally um mm-hmm. But there are uh, some 
for people with uh, Revolut cards. I know that there's, a, there's something yeah. set up for that. Um, yeah. But I'm going to put details in a story highlight on Instagram for people who are using Instagram because, um, yeah, I've been trying. I've been trying to get some more information to mm. do with it. But I, I'll, I'll add that to to that, and um, I'll also I've also put one together to do with the uh, Hunaman story that we touched on, just so, so people can look at the numbers um, sure. specifically on that. Um, but yeah, at the moment, it, there's not uh, there's not a simple, a super simple universal way. But I'm going to keep looking into the thing, and I. Maybe by the time the episode is up, there'll be there'll be additional additional ways. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so this this episode will obviously be coming out. Um, it'll be coming out Sunday the seventeenth. No, my last is terrible. <laughs> um, it will be coming out um in, in the upcoming Sunday. Okay. Um, okay. so we'll obviously have all the information ready to put out alongside it. Uh, we'll get the links if you have any links uh, to any pages that there are memorial pages and things like that any links to how people can help donate and, and raise for that um, for our listeners if if you're able to it would be much appreciated to help out uh, the family of, of this woman who's uh, tragically passed away a uh, huge loss for football in Iceland and, and for just the people as well and our friends and, and, and everyone from the country and around so uh, please rally around and try and support um, as if you are financially able to, and I know times are quite difficult at the moment, but um, it's for a cause that's that's quite worthy. It's just you know, there's a family out there that's struggling with loss at the moment, um, and they deserve as much help as they can possibly get. So we'll put all those links and information up uh, when the episode's out. We'll put it alongside the tweets and our Instagrams. As usual, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram, uh, all of our other social media pages, um, WordPress, YouTube now as well, um, and everywhere else that you know where to go. But for now, we'll sign off for the evening. So, Gus, say goodnight. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Cheers. <laughs> Phil, say goodnight. Goodnight, everyone. And we'll see you all again next week. Goodbye.